Robots Radio presents... Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat Extra Lore, recorded on January 19th, 2021, uh, as we continue our discussion over the Halo topic of the insurrection. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration, so congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, we're going to run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 and as has become a normal fixture of all our Halo Extra Lore chats, we have our resident Halo lore expert, Pins Halo. Pins, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good, thanks. Awesome, awesome. Well, so when in the intro session, we kind of walked through the, the timeline of the insurrection. We talked about, you know, when we talk about the insurrection, what exactly are we talking about? You know, the specific conflict between really between humanity um yeah being a, a colonial after effect mm-hmm. of the different different planets um and that and and we kind of ended on a note like right at the cusp of the 20 the year 2500 ish that era uh we we had finished with the conversation about uh dr carver um so following following dr carver's work uh, and his, you know, and then the con, the the argument that he got into about it with Halsey, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that work led as a springboard for the resurrection of the Orion Project. And we kind of mentioned that, you know, the Orion Project was something that had been originally intended for the, I think it was the inner system or interplanetary system. Yeah, it was. Inter- what was it? It was um, initially the Orion Project was. Um, when humanity was still inside of the soul system, they they wanted to. I mean, it started off as a a way to try to improve the people who were going out into onto the colonies, uh, make them you know make them tougher, more resilient, things of that nature. Um, which of course led to military applications. Of course, early on, the very the the very early stages of this were things like you know steroids and things of that nature that nature mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it wasn't until you started getting into you know the 2400 the late 2400s that you started having other types of augmentations on that was that and and these augmenta- would that be because the technology didn't exist for it or yeah. because the the, the the like desperation or both the, I guess. the technology hadn't the, the technology hadn't matured enough yet okay now the one thing about the orion project was it was take they took active soldiers who essentially volunteered these were fully grown men um i believe i believe most of the orion project was men i there is no reference to women but there you know, there probably were some so i'll just use the term soldiers 
and Marines. Mm -hmm. They had volunteered. They were fully matured. Um, and they had stuff to improve stamina and strength, eyesight, things of that nature. I mean, there were some flaws with the Orion project. You know, some of the, uh, augmentations didn't take well or they didn't, they took initially and then caused problems later on. But one of the other things was a number of the soldiers and Marines that were part of the project had been determined that they had, you know, latent or sometimes not so latent empathy with the insurrectionists. So that led to issues. But yeah, so the, the Orion project had been resurrected and this was used early on to attempt to quell the, uh, the insurrection. Now, once you start getting into like after 2450, 24 in actually after like 2480 and things of that nature, once you started getting like massively organized groups of rebels, that's where you started seeing the more violent incidents starting to occur. One of the, the one of the very first ones occurred uh, was the Far Isle Rebellion. Far Isle was a, an outer colony world, and it was the first one to go into a full scale revolt where the entire where the populace fought against the UNSC and were were active rebellion uh, with conflict. Now, at this point in time, the UNSC really didn't have the experience in in this type of combat, so they really weren't able to contain the rebellion. What ended up happening is they resorted to using nuclear weaponry and they raised the entire colony. Essentially, they wiped it off. Uh, they wiped it out. Now, there's a particular code used by the UNSC. Uh, the code is Bandersnatch. Essentially, it indicates a major radiological or energy-based disaster. This, is the, this was the first time that that particular code had been used to kind of hide the fact that the UNSC actually nuked one of its own planets. Yeah. Now, that code also was used when you were talking about the Covenant glassing planets. Uh, but in this case, it was the first time that you that the UNSC essentially reacted like it did to essentially wipe out, to tr in an attempt to snuff out a rebellion. Right, right, okay. So, now, the one thing that you have to remember about this is at this point, like, like we mentioned uh, before, is that once you kind of start going down the road of rebellion, it is exceedingly hard to stop. And at this point, the die had pretty much been cast. Every reaction that the UNSC would take would end up causing a counter reaction by the insurrectionists. It would bring more people to the side of the insurrection. Now, like I said, Far Isle, Far Isle ended up being really the earliest indication of this. But what's really known as the true start of the insurrection is something known as the Callisto Incident. This was in 2494, and the UNSC were, had corvettes and ships that would stop and board freighters, like civilian freighters, to check for weapons, contraband, things of that nature. Well, what ended up happening is on a there was a UNSC Corvette called the Callisto. It was going through its normal the process of, you know, checking merchant vessels when it was captured by insurrectionists. On top of just being captured, all the UNSC personnel on board were killed. 
In response to this, the UNSC sent a battle group of three destroyers. As and just as a side note, one as one of the junior officers in this command would would later be Admiral Preston Cole. At well, then was then Lieutenant Preston Cole. Um, Preston Cole was considered was Preston Cole was the rallying banner before the Spartan twos uh, in the Human Covenant War. Uh, he was a major character. So in on March second, twenty four ninety four, the battle group came across the Callisto. They opened fire with missiles uh, against the Callisto, but the Callisto maneuvered into an andro uh, into an asteroid field, and uh, the missiles all missed. Well, as they were closing in, the insurrectionists had actually planted a nuclear weapon on one of the larger asteroids. They ended up detonating this weapon to destroy the asteroid. This actually wiped out one of the ships in total and heavily damaged the other two. One of the two was the UNSC uh, destroyer Las Vegas. The only remaining surviving bridge crew uh, officer was 2nd Lieutenant Preston Cole. At this point in time, the Callisto had come back and had essentially ordered the uh, Las Vegas to surrender. You know, at this point in time, it was known what had happened to the crew of the Callisto, but, you know, Cole really didn't, felt he didn't have much of a choice, so he signaled, he signaled distress. So the Callisto comes along board, and they dock with the theory of capturing and providing help. Well, Cole actually had <laughs> baited a trap. He had one last <laughs> missile. Because it's yes. Cole. He had one last <laughs> missile that was in the docking bay that the Callisto had tethered itself to. It fired that missile into the Callisto, essentially wiping it out, essentially causing massive damage. At that point in time, Cole then called, did a major bluff. He opened up the missile tubes, which, by the way, were all empty, and essentially said, you know, ordered the Callisto to surrender to the AI on board of the uh, Las Vegas. So to essentially get the Callisto back under control. Now, as a side note on this, Cole was actually, if I remember the story correctly, he was not, he was slightly chastised about it because he essentially raised a distress flag. And then when it went back against it, which is against all sorts of naval traditions, Cole knew that he would never be able to, do that again because no one would ever believe him. So, yeah. Well, and yeah, yeah. Um, once you once you get caught crying wolf, mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult to. Yeah. So, but that's that. The Callisto incident is widely considered the beginning of the insurrection. This incident, essentially, Cole's res- Cole's response. I mean, the Callisto showed the UEG and the UNSC that the insurrectionists were not mucking about. That they were willing to kill. You know, they weren't interested in just capturing. They killed the crew of the Callista. And then it, and then from the UNSC side, what Cole did, a number of you, insurre- you know, the insurrection was like, okay, they're willing to do whatever they want to us. You know, they're not going to treat us honorably at all. You know, so it essentially just started ratcheting up the the pressure there. 
the next incident also actually involved Preston Cole. Um, it's the interaction of uh, the ship known as the Bellicose. Now, oh, yeah. this one. Um, just as a side note, this is this information is found in Halo Evolutions in the story called, but written by Eric Nyland called the uh, impossible impossible life and probable death of Preston J Cole. It's actually very excellently written. I, <laughs> it's I such would a good strongly story. advise if you're if you're a Halo fan, even if you're not, read it. Um, you know, you, it might actually be on Audible too as an as an audiobook. In any event, after the incident, um, at this point in time, Cole was in charge of a uh, of the UNSC Gorgon. It was a cruiser. The rebels had started to form fleets to fight against the UNSC. So this is when you started to see the beginnings of space ship-to-ship combat, which was a new area of warfare that that no one, not the UNSC and not the rebels, really had any idea what the hell to do with. So they were all learning at about the same time. The Gor- one thing about the Gorgon is it had actually been equipped with a brand new weapon, the Magnetic Accelerator Cannon. It to uh, which was a which was designed to essentially be um, the final word when it came to ship to ship combat because it essentially would would shoot a slug down a magnetic rail at ridiculous speeds and essentially cause massive kinetic damage. So, like I said, the rebels had started to form fleets, and some of these were civilian ships, but some of them were captured UNSC ships. So the insurgents had actually captured a, a ship known as the uh, known as the UNSC Bellifron, uh, and they had renamed it the Bellicose. And it had its own fleet, and it had been pursued by Cole for a long time. And it's essentially its final encounter. Cole had uh, set up and fired his last Mac round to it. Now, in a brilliant maneuver, the Bellicose essentially had realized that the Gorgon was going to shoot the Mac can the Mac round and launched its remaining missiles into the path that the Mac round would take, destroying it. After this incident, there was a couple of messages that went back and forth between uh the Gorgon and the Bellicose, between Cole and the captain of the Bellicose, essentially taunting back and forth. But the Bellicose ended up escaping at this point. Cole had tried to trap it a few other times to no avail. Not long after this, Cole had met uh, met a woman known known as L- L- Loren Castilla. Ended up falling in love and marrying her, and she was expecting her chi- uh, chi- their child. What ended up happening was a friend of Cole, Admiral Harold Stanforth, sent a message to Cole notifying him that Oni had identified Lirien as the commander of the Bellicose. Cole returns home and finds that Lirian had left. Said that she, I think, was like seven or eight months pregnant at that time. And she took everything, leaving her side of the messages back and forth where they were kind of taunting each other after the Macround incident. This is, it was this incident that actually, Cole was actually started to be brought up on charges. But Stanforth kind of stood up for him 
but it still led Cole to essentially lose his command and be sent back to Earth as on a, to to fly a desk. Not long after this, it was the uh, Bellicose essentially fell into a gravity well and was destroyed. <laughs> Conveniently, <laughs> yes, was destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> this actually was not the case later on in uh, the Battle of Cy Serpentis, Serpentis against the Covenant. The Bellicose and a ragtag rebel fleet miraculously came through to assist Cole and help defeat essentially one of the major uh, wins against the US, the Covenant that the UNSC had. Just before Cole fired every nuke that he had into a brown dwarf, making go supernova, (laughs) supposedly killing him. Hint, the probable probable death. death. Hence, probable. I would, I strongly, like I said, I would strongly recommend you read that story for the rest of it because I don't think I could do justice to it. It's, it's a very well written story and it's very interesting too. Let's take let's actually take a break real quick um, and then we'll come back because I think uh, right after Cole's assignment to the desk, there's a there's an an interesting development in against the insurrectionist forces that we'll we'll want to talk about. Even in the darkest of places, the light will always find a way through. If you're like me, then perhaps you're looking for more in-depth conversation about Destiny Law. Welcome back, Guardians. My name is Trams87, and I craft bite-sized cinematic Destiny Law videos. So join me each week as I journey into some of the greatest mysteries of Destiny 2. You can find me on youtube.com forward slash trams 87 stay safe and godspeed all right so we we left cole had been back to a desk he's he's now presumably dead somewhere um so the story kind of shifts away from him sadly because he was really Mm -hmm. interesting uh and we're gonna we we see is is trebuchet is that the operation That happens in twenty five thirteen. The Operation Trebuchet okay. is essentially um, the UNSC said, okay, they essentially had enough and decided that they wanted to essentially try to wipe out the insurrection or render it as render it useless or um, eliminate it. Okay. So this it was initiated in twenty five thirteen and. It lasted well. It technically lasted more than ten years, but it was about ten years of like f- full active duty, with a goal to root out insurrectionists and impose order. It was during this time that the uh, Project Orion, those troops were actually starting to be deployed against the insurrection, and it began. Which anyone who is a fan of the Halo story will know this. It began in the Eridanus system specifically. Eridanus 2. Slight hint. This is the birth planet of the main character of the Halo stories, Master Chief. <laughs> Shocking. The UNSC... Uh, the, let me back up. I'm sorry. 
the um, rebel forces in this area um, had been kind of disorganized until a former UNSC, well, Marine, by the name of Colonel Robert Watts, essentially organized them and essentially attempted to take over the entire system. In a long-running battle, uh, the rebel fleet was defeated by the UNSC, and then there was also a, ground a major ground campaign on Eridanus II, led specifically by the 9th Marine Expeditionary Force, with the goal of capturing rebel leaders. Unfortunately, this the results were kind of mixed, and in many cases, they were unable to capture the um, rebels. And in a few cases that they were, in many the rebels would actually say, yeah, you you know, you kind of beat us now, but we'll win in the end, kind of thing. That became kind of a mm -hmm. theme there with that. So, you know, by 2524, there were well over a million lives lost with civilians, and mainly civilians and non-combatants because of trebuchet. You know, during this time, Watts kept, you know, because he was such a good commander, he created more and more rebel installations. Despite the UNSC's best efforts, the insurrection kept bombing facilities and civilians kept getting caught in the crossfire. And in many cases, the blame started was being labeled on the UNSC because of this, even though in many cases, the rebels were the ones who were essentially blowing up places and killing people. Halsey mentioned, actually mentions in her journal about a insurrectionist attack on a planet that was essentially friendly <laughs> to the rebels, which essentially what they did is they took a dirty bomb and the way they detonated it, it essentially poisoned the entire planet. So the insurrectionists could be really ruthless with this. You know, these were the kind of things that the UNSC were fighting. And sadly, as in with most of civil wars and things like that, it's always innocent civilians that seem to get caught in the crossfires. As I mentioned, Orion Project soldiers were deployed at this time. Um, probably the most notable out of it was a sergeant by the name of Avery Johnson. <laughs> that name should be somewhat familiar with uh, Halo fans as well. <laughs> An interesting thing about that was that it's at this point in time that some of the conflict started hitting the inner the inner colonies. Reach had some incidents occur. There was a civilian freighter which was blown up above Reach, and also one of the planets uh, was Tribute, which was in the Epsilon Ir Epsilon Iridani system. Now, initially, insurgents enjoyed some support initially on Tribute, but they came to realize that a lot of the violence that was occurring was because of the rebels. Um, there's an incident that's detailed in the book uh, Contact Harvest where uh, Avery Johnson in a... They're trying to stop bomb makers and they uh, tail them to a uh, like a local diner and the rebels there decide to, it's filled with innocence. So Johnson's a little hesitant to shoot, but the rebels decide to blow things up anyway, and they killed tons of civilians along with some of the uh, soldiers that were sent to stop the bomb makers. Because of that, you know, because, and, and this is the one thing that you, it, it didn't happen, it didn't really happen in the outer colonies, but you started to see this in the inner colonies, is that, people started realizing that it was the insurrectionists that were 
initiating, like I said, initiating a lot of the violence that caused civilian casualties. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of their support started to drop in those areas. That, like, so like I said, this is kind of the technically the tail end of Trebuchet because a little thing happened about first contact with an alien race over the planet Harvest uh, in 2525, which essentially were the opening shots of the Human Covenant War. So the the, the, the act of, um, at this point in time, Trebuchet was kind of put on hold. Uh, so to allow the UNSC to focus on this alien force that they knew nothing about, but there were still some operations. And actually in uh, 2525, in the first oper- active operation of the Spartan twos, they were actually sent to the uh, Eridanus system to capture Robert Watts, which they actually successfully did. It was the first command of John 117, and uh, they successfully pulled off a kidnapping of Robert Watts. So we've now kind of come out of the pre-Covenant War era, and now we're during the the Human Covenant War. Now, one thing to remember, Trebuchet was was put on hold. It was never terminated. (laughs) So technically, it is still an active operation. Now, because of the situation of what was happening, the UNSC made made offers out to the outer colonies to all the rebel factions, they made an offer to cease hostilities. If the rebels would work to assist in defending against the covenant. Now, in many cases, a lot of these rebel factions turned that down because they didn't believe the UNSC. And it wasn't until you started seeing planets glassed and populations being eradicated by uh, the covenant that, the rebel faction started working with UNSC. Now, even though they worked with them, there were some uh, instances where some of these places would purposely cut themselves off from the UNSC communications relay with the idea of, okay, well, we'll see what we can do now. But once this is done and we come out the other end, mm-hmm. we want to be in a position that we can still fight against the UNSC and for our freedom. And then you actually had some rebels who actually tried to work with the Covenant. This um, specifically happened on the planet Biko. It was uh, because of, mole, of moles within the UNSC. They had discovered about Operation Silent Storm, uh, which was an operation to essentially try to capture Covenant ship. So, you know, with the thought of trying to reverse engineer and try to find out more about the Covenant. They also had information about the Spartan II program, and whatnot, and they were going to offer it to the Covenant. Uh, they actually met with the Sangheili commander, who promptly turned around and killed them all, and took the information anyway. So, one of the other larger incidents during the war involved the Spartan II t- team, known as Gray Team, um, and it was known as the Battle of the Rubble. Uh, this was an asteroid habitat, essentially a bunch of floating asteroids joined together. The insurrectionists there were actually trading with uh, Kigyar for weapons. With And then the insurrectionists also had plans that they were going to sell data to the Covenant. Part of this also dealt with selling them information, like essentially 
information about the uh, – I keep wanting to say inner sphere, so I'm crossing the whole battle tech and Halo thing, <laughs> the inner colonies and information like that. Now, the Rubble had an AI assigned to it known as Juliana, and so the Spartan Grey team worked with Juliana to try to assist protecting the Rubble. It ended up that the, the Covenant that was there, they're actually working with the Prophets to try to get information so they could use it against humanity. There was a large force on one of the larger asteroids. Specifically, there were a lot of um, ungoys, you know, but and whatnot. And oh, and the Battle of Rubble also showed was actually the one of the first times we come across uh, Thelvadam, who is the arbiter in the Halo Two. His fleet was actually one of the ones that was in charge, or that was yeah, kind of in charge of the 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 Covenant operation. In the end. They were able to stop the Covenant by essentially the AI overrode the safety protocols of the asteroid habitat and broke it apart and sent all the asteroids against the one other asteroid that the Covenant was on. You know, kind of a weird orbital bombardment, but they were able to actually able to stop, <laughs> you know, stop the Covenant that. If it works. Yeah. And it did at that time. I mean, there are times when throwing rocks at things work really well. There is nothing that can't be a, can't be fixed with the proper application of force. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a big frickin' rock. <laughs> yeah. So once we started getting into the post-war era, I mean, there was a thought that amongst some leaders in the UNSC that the humanity would try to band together to try to come back because so much had been lost. However. With the end of the War in the Covenant, a lot of the insurrectionist movements, they began to resurface again with the same goal of breaking away from the UEG. Uh, on top of it, a lot of these places thought, felt, well, they felt abandoned by the UNSC that, you know, they just allowed planets to be glassed and destroyed, which isn't wholly untrue. <laughs> I mean, but, right. you know, you're talking about. It, it, it from a military standpoint, you're trying to figure out how to defeat these things, and you know you you lose to them all. You lose to this this force almost all the time in space. You can fight them to you. You learned how to fight them to stand still on the ground, but you almost always lose to them in space. And they would do whatever it took to actually destroy people who were trying to flee and whatnot. So it was one of those things that it just there's no way around it. The UNSC couldn't be everywhere, but because they couldn't be everywhere, those places that they couldn't be felt abandoned. Right. On top of it, because in the post-war era, you know, you obviously you had a lot of stuff. You had a lot of hardware that was now on the black market. So a lot of these cells were able to get not only UNSC weapons, but they also could get hold of Covenant weapons as well. You know, with the breakup of the Covenant. You had, you know, especially since Kigyar are mainly pirates, you know, they'll negotiate with anybody. They don't care as long as they get paid. So, yeah, you had a lot of instances of that. So these groups are getting stronger simply because they're able to get hold of Covenant and UNSC weapons. You know, you have the planet Venezia, which post-war kind of became a, a, major a major rebel player by it declared itself totally sovereign and eliminated the uh, colonial admin authorities that were there. Also, another rebel faction called the United Rebel Front became a major actor on this as well, along with 
something known as the New Colonial Alliance. The New Colonial Alliance was founded by a formal UNSC admiral by the name of Mattias Drake, and they were they were really active post-war. One of the first things that they tried to do was actually attempted to hijack UNSC Infinity not long after her commissioning, when she was still in shakedown mode. Led by a former Spartan Four candidate by the name of Ilsa Zane, she and a crew of insurrectionists attempted to take control of the UNSC Infinity, but thanks to some smart thinking by then uh, then second-in-command Jacob Keyes and also Spartan Sarah Palmer, they were able to stop that. Now, Ilsa Zane had been, um, like I said, she was one of the first Spartan Fork candidates and um, had been rejected essentially because her augmentations made her go nuts. But mm-hmm. And she actually had been ejected into space but somehow had been picked up in time before she died by a ship of the New Colonial Alliance and spirited away. Uh, the New Colonial Alliance also popped up at Eelan IV. This was during peace negotiations between the Yurohane and Sanghili and included uh, Fleet Admiral Terence Hood, uh, the Arbiter, and uh, the Brute Chieftain Lydius. If I remember correctly, they gunked that all up. So, and 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 this is one of the things. There actually was a double agent among the Spartan fours that were providing security by the name of Vladimir Scruggs. He actually killed his entire Spartan four team and allowed a Sanghali mercenary group led by the shipmaster Vata Gajat in to try to to kill the the both the Arbiter, Lydius, and then also if they could get rid of uh, Hood. While this attempt was foiled, it did put a hold on the whole peace process. Another attempt by the New Colonial Alliance was in the uh, planet Oath Loden. In this, now this one was actually not so much, while it furthered the New Colonial Alliance, it was actually spurred by something more basic. It was spurred by revenge. The uh, NCA commander was, a name, was someone by the name of Daniel Clayton who happened to be the son of James Cutter uh, from the Halo Wars uh, games. At this point, just, you know, really quick, when Cutter jumped out to pursue the uh, Covenant fleet, he left a beacon, and the UNSC ship Roman Blue was supposed to pick that beacon up. However, then-commander, then-captain Terrence Hood decided to go for glory instead of it, and that is what led to the UNSC losing contact with the Spirit of Fire and essentially writing them all off as dead. Now, at this location of Oathloden, there was a Covenant space station. that they So they had lured the Infinity there, and then the space station actually had a glassing-type cannon that they shot and crippled the UNSC Infinity with. They would have definitely been able to destroy the Infinity and then kill Hood, if not for Spartan Sarah Palmer and a number of Spartan fours from the Infinity that were able to attack and capture Daniel Clayton. Hood met with Clayton to try to get information from him, and at this point in time, Clayton just decided he wasn't going to talk, but he did mention the NCA, New Colonial Alliance, and that how um, they would they would win. And this was just before Clayton was sent off to Midnight Facility, which is a which is a secret Oni facility 
for most the most uh it's a super yes. happy place <laughs> it's essentially it's essentially oni supermax <laughs> it doesn't exist <laughs> let's just leave it at that <laughs> so and then actually uh one of the uh one of the other big ones was actually detailed in the second season of hunt the truth at the planet conrad's point this is ilsa zane returns uh, and the NCAA commanders and troops are all brought under her command. She brutally trained them to the to the point where they were they were highly trained, and these were all survivors because she like people who didn't meet up match up would be killed. And she essentially had the idea of preparing the NCA for war with the UEG. And to do that, she had collected a large amount amount of nuclear weapons. Now. Conrad's Point was one of the places that a Forerunner Guardian had been activated by Cortana, which caused massive amounts of damage. But there was a scramble between the NCA and Oni to get people on the ground to research, you know, what was left and whatnot and see if there was anything of use. Oni sent uh, Commander Maya Sankar, who had been doubling as the rebel leader Pharaoh, <laughs> undercover with the AI black box, or as he was most mostly known in Hunt the Truth as Blue Cube by Mishak Marathi. <laughs> Why are there grenades under my bed? <laughs> Why are there grenades? It's the most legit question. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I don't care that there's a lot of, there's, there's all these bad guys coming. Why are there grenades under my bed? I love how you just fixated on that one thing. It was the best part. <laughs> uh, Sankar was discovered, and some of her and her one contact who was supposed to be with her was ended up killed by Ilsa Zane. Now, but they were able to escape. They escaped to the planet Laika Three, where actually another guardian had been discovered. Zane wanted to capture this to use against the UNSC, it's, but. The UNSC and Oni were on site and stopped her just as the Guardian started to be activated. On a side note, uh, this is when uh, Maya Sankar died. Uh, however, the AI black box had convinced the UNSC to essentially take her brain to create an AI from it. So, as you can kind of see, the insurrection is actually still ongoing in the Halo universe. Even with Cortana and the created out there, you know, it's mm -hmm. the insurrections. Some of them are kind of bowing underneath Cortana, but some of them aren't because they simply don't want to be under anyone else's command, no matter how quote unquote benevolent it may be. Now, the one thing about the Halo universe in the games we play, we never fight humans. We always are fighting against aliens. That was a deliberate design choice at the time, but it's one of those things that it should, you know, we know how ugly humans can be to humans, and but that's never really reflected in the Halo universe, but there is that type of history in the war. But as ugly as that all is, as we mentioned very early on in the um, intro episode, without the insurrection, there is no way the UNSC would have even been close to as prepared as they would have been without it. Yeah, there. I mean, the 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 insurrection forced a lot of uh, improvements and advancements, um, and simply teaching things to to allow the UNSC to have some experience. 
in space combat and other things. Now, there's a line from The Impossible Life and Probable Death of Preston J. Cole where an ONI operative codenamed Surgeon uh, says this in a report. History looks upon this time as an unfortunate and perhaps inevitable misunderstanding between Earth and her colonies. But those fighting for the last decade also realized that it was the most amazing piece of blind fortune the human race has ever stumbled upon. Had we not been armed and learned how to fight in space, what would have happened in the years that followed when we faced an enemy a hundred times worse? Oblivion, no doubt. That was directly linked, uh, that was a quote directly referencing the insurrection. Without that, there is no way that they would even been, the pr preparation would have been even worse. And, you know, the, the the few victories and stops that we were able to make against the co against the covenant wouldn't have occurred. You know, if you look at specifics as to what kind of advances came from that, the magnetic accelerator cannon, the Mac cannons, Mac guns, they all, they were all developed because, you know, during the insurrection. Titanium A armor, this is all the armor that is on the uh, U that every UNSC ship is made for soft seal technology. This is what allows um, the linking between ships to allow boarding uh, and whatnot. The basic ship to ship warfare. No one knew how to do that before this. It wasn't until you had rebel fleets and the UNSC was forced to engage in ship to ship warfare that there was even the modicum of ideas of how to do this. Also, the, when it comes to smart AIs, the incorporation of illegal entry protocols and counter-illegal entry protocols, you know, security for the AIs, and their ability to hack security. And then, arguably, the, the biggest thing is the Spartan 2 program. You know, there's no doubt that uh, the biggest thing that helped humanity was the Great Schism, which was the uh, civil war between the Covenant after essentially the Sangheili were thrown out for the Brutes. But those items that I essentially just listed played major roles in, in the UNSC in their fight against the Covenant. Yeah, especially, and like, like you were saying too, especially against the ability of like at least holding the line until we could figure yeah. out more. Mm hmm. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, when it comes to Halo, it always comes back to Spartans. But, you know, there's no doubt, like I said, the biggest the biggest one out of that is the Spartan 2 program. Mm -hmm. um, if it hadn't been for that and, you know, moral implications aside, if it hadn't been for the Spartan 2 program, the Halo, I mean, the Covenant would have just steamrolled, right. um, you know, or it would have been a lot closer than we would have expected. And there's still the chance that the Covenant would have fired the Halo arrays, which would have wiped everybody out anyway. Right. Well, and even the Spartan 2s, you know, again, like you said, moral moral argument aside, I mean, Spartan 2s mm -hmm. led to the creation of the Spartan 3s and 4s. Yeah. And then, you know, all the technology that comes from the Spartan program alone is just immense as well. And that all stems, you know, back to what we've been talking about for these two episodes, yeah. the insurrection. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's, again, you can look at it and you're like, yeah, this was a terrible thing. And there is no, no argument, I think, from anybody that it was a horrible process. But, oh, but yeah. the silver lining of this massive thunderhead is that, that, you know, we did get the, the tools and stuff that allowed us to, or allowed humanity to survive the, the right. attack of the covenant. Yeah. I think that, Yeah. I mean that I, I think that's a I think that's a good place to to you know close off. Um mm-hmm. I know we're pushing we're pushing about 55 minutes at the point. So I think it's amazing every time I think it's amazing <laughs> that you managed to get all this information in under the time limit. Um but uh for for the advanced <laughs> session do you, what do you what do you have for us for shout outs and um just a shout out to everyone at FFC uh, and the Lore Network, they all do great work. Yeah, and then also just uh, both the Halo and Destiny communities. I know that there's been some rough points lately in there, some of which have made me, you know, less, you know, less than desired to actually sit down and play games. <laughs> but I still enjoy being part of both communities because I think both communities do great work. Um, they can. Be, there's some amazing people in both and uh yeah so yeah that's all i got awesome well i mean first i mean huge shout out to pens to you because again like i said i'm still i'm still always amazed that the amount of information you can cram into an hour or two hours i guess um <laughs> just it, well, about an hour and a half i think yeah it boggles two, so. boggles my mind um so huge huge thank you to you for taking the time not only to you know put it together but also to jump on and you know walk us through this stuff and um if you guys are just now catching this episode we have i think what this is the fourth third or fourth one that we're doing so we're doing we're doing a bit of a mini mini series if you will up into the for for preparation for halo infinite to come out so you know definitely go back and give those a, a listen if you have not already listened to those they're they're just as informative as this one um but other than that um i just want to as usual thank you for your time and until next time remember with wisdom we conquer stand strong stand tall and keep exploring With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire, and may your light shine bright. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.